host, Lisa Cordoff. Welcome to the podcast where you can expect inspiring, raw, energizing, and transformative conversations with people on the path of personal evolution. I'm here to really live my life. And if you are too, these conversations are just for you. I'm really glad you're here. Enjoy. Hey, Shalom. Morning. Uh, It is morning. It is a Friday morning and you have snuck out of your work to record this podcast with me. So thank you. You're very welcome, but don't tell anyone. I'm not. It's a total secret. It's not going out to thousands of people on this podcast. Um, I was actually thinking this morning when we first met each other, like how long we've actually known each other. And I think I saw you, I think I met you for the very first time when I was in your house doing a Thermomix demonstration. But we met because we did the IIN course, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition back in, what was that, 2011? 11 or 12. I always remember thinking that I was pregnant when I knew you and the Thermomix demonstration, amazing as it was, uh, was when I had a brand newbie at home, like a six-week-old. So Yeah, but you also said to me, I think I might be pregnant. Oh, don't tell people that. I was though, wasn't I? Jeepers. You were. So maybe tell it was everyone, tell weeks. everyone the, the, the time between your two children. Like, oh, well, you've got three. There's a pretty big gap between the first two and mm-hmm. a slightly smaller one between <laughs> the second and So I had my first baby 13 years ago when I was 30 and she's divine. And then made a few life changes, shook things up a bit, got divorced. And then when I repartnered, um, I gently encouraged my man to have a vasectomy reversal because I was pretty rock solid that I wanted more kids. I was about 33 and I just knew that that was what I wanted. And so he was not best pleased at the idea, but uh, eventually acquiesced and went under the knife. Um and it's quite funny because we're not married, but he'll always say, I had four hours of microsurgery on my nuts. Like that is commitment right there. <laughs> and then <laughs> four we had, hours. Is it I know. Nice? To get it reversed, it really is. Yeah. So um, we, uh, you don't think about it too much. Um, we had no guarantee, obviously, that we would fall pregnant, but we did the first go and fell pregnant with our son. And I always knew I wanted another child after that. And I was older at this stage. I was like 37. And I remember thinking, oh, well, I won't wait too long. And I know exactly when we got pregnant because my parents were staying with us. Classy. (laughs) Yeah. And they had gone out for a walk. It was like the middle of the day and the baby was sleeping. And we sort of had random spontaneous sex up against the washing machine. Nice. Uh Uh-huh. And that was when our son was 12 weeks old. And I suspect, because I was exclusively breastfeeding, but I knew that that wasn't a solid uh, guarantee you wouldn't get pregnant. And I did get my <laughs> I did get my period back after six weeks of being pregnant. And, uh, sorry, of giving birth. And I think it was the fact that around that time at 12 weeks, he had dropped a feed or, you know, something like that. Mm. Like he'd settled into a different pattern. And they say that when that happens, you're likelihood of falling pregnant is greater. And boom shakalaka, we uh, have exactly 12 months between our delightful Dang. children. Yeah. And they are delightful. Mm. Um, our kids do play together or 
well, then plays, plays a kind word. <laughs> they do okay for a little bit. And then the girls get all sassy and then the boys start to fight. But anyway, um, it's good times. Uh, you know, with that whole breastfeeding thing, and I, I mean, I've, I've shared this with you, but I didn't have a, a period for six years because I, did you know this? Uh, as soon as the kids got to the stage where I was weaning them, you know, sort of 13-ish months, whatever, I don't know. But uh, I fell pregnant as soon as I obviously first ovulated. So I literally, and it's so amazing our bodies, mm-hmm. that it's just like my body was like, ah, let's do yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it happened for, you know, both of the girls that as soon as I could, I fell pregnant. Crazy. Can I guess? Sorry, I was just going to say, I also think that like with my first daughter, uh, I, same thing, breastfed her and things, but it was about 10 months before I got my period back and I just thought, you know, that's normal. I I don't think there is any normal. I think it's different for everybody. But Mm. I also knew, I already knew in that relationship that there was major cracks. I already Mm. knew that I didn't want to have another baby and it was actually literally around the time of her second birthday when everyone's looking at you going, you know, yes. my friends were having their second kids yes. and everyone's like ready to go again. And I was like, I'm, I can't, I'm out. That I made the decision that this wasn't the right relationship for me or us. Mm-hmm. However, and then, you know, in the next next experience I had, I think I got my period back, yeah, after six weeks. And then with our third child, five weeks. And I remember saying to the fertility oh. goddess, like, please stop, I'm done. Don't, I love that you've gifted me this flow immediately, but I'm out. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're done. We are done here. <laughs> yes. Um, so, and I guess this does kind of lead into probably what we were going to discuss today, but this is a conversation and it does go many different ways between us. Uh, but when I start, when you, after you, was it after you had Frankie that, that then you started Rockstar Birth Mag? So, We've done a few, we did the IIN course together, but we also did B-School, which was all about, you know, creating a business online, which is such an attractive prospect to the woman at the stage of bearing babies who isn't in her normal full-time role. (laughs) It's a bit harder than, you know, they potentially make it out to be. But why did you, so if any, so people don't know Shalom, you've got to follow her on Instagram at Rockstar Birth Mag or Rockstar Birth? Rockstar Birth Mag. Yep. She just delivers home truths. I mean, bullshit bingo. Are you still doing that? Or was that a little bit <laughs> <Yes>. of a face? <laughs> You've got to watch her Insta stories. And uh, she interviewed me um, on Rockstar Birth Radio about my birthing experiences, which I had to have three cesareans, which was not my plan, but still amazingly beautiful and best days ever. And, uh, and you're bringing a really different, refreshing, in-your-face kind of voice to the birthing world. And you feel really, really passionately about it. And, and I love it. I feed off it because it's not just about birth. It's about womanhood. It's about power. It's about you know, who we are as beings. And um, I just would like to know, when you were first starting all of this off, your passion for, for birthing and telling real stories and empowering women, no matter what birth they have, 
where did all that come from? I guess I realized that we had been fed a line of utter bullshit when it came to our bodies and our capabilities and our ability to birth. And so it was after the birth of my third daughter where I had a hospital birth for my first child. I went to 42 weeks and then had all manner of intervention thrown at me to, to get her out. And I remember thinking, this, this isn't what I expected. What, I, what's happening here? You know, and they're doing all manner of things to you to extract your baby that I, by the time I had my second child and there was a period of time there that I thought, I don't want that experience again. I did not feel in control. I did not feel heard and respected. I, I essentially turned up to the hospital and said, here I am, tell me what to do. And mm. like they really did. So when I had my second child, I knew I wanted a different experience and I did a bit of investigating to find out what my options were and how to have that. And I ultimately birthed my next two children at home. And those experiences were so off the charts in terms of how deeply powerful I felt, how in my zone, how I was just resonating with everything that was going on. Like it was just spectacular that I remember coming out of that and thinking, why doesn't every woman know that we're capable of this? Mm -hmm. Why have we been fed these stories at all these pivotal points in our uh, growth that our bodies are broken in some way? And it starts early, you know, it starts with we think about our menstrual cycles and the fact that when we get our first period, it's not necessarily celebrated. We're not, you know, it, everyone's experience is different. But when I was growing up, for a lot of girls, it was a bit shameful, a bit dirty. It's embarrassing. You know, your mum might slide some pads across the table when she finds out. But did she ever did be meaningful with you about this, you know, move and transition into womanhood? Did she mm. talk about how your womb is incredible? Did you know you had a womb? You know, mm. I must have been about 25 before I realized that each period an egg comes from in one month, one ovary, and then the next month it goes to the other ovary and takes an egg. I had no idea how my body worked. Mm. So going into birth when I was 30, I still had no idea. And, you know, so it, that experience that our bodies were broken because they bleed when we're 12 or 13. And then the experience for a lot of women when they have their first sexual experience, you know, another rite of passage is that it's going to be painful. You might bleed. It's going to be messy, that it's really all about making sure the guy has a good time. Like again, you know, our bodies and their capabilities are put at the bottom of the priority list. And then when we move into our childbearing years to Everything that we're fed about birth from it feels like every angle is that it is traumatic and chaotic and our bodies don't know what to do without assistance mm. and that it's essentially a medical emergency and it's just bullshit. And that's where the seed came from because I had such polar opposite experiences and in talking to other women realized that so many of us were experiencing this very medicalized, uh, disconnected, non-emotive or spiritual experience that I was like, we need to talk about this. We need to have the conversation. We need to know what we're capable of. We need to have a voice in our mm. birthing experiences because mm. whilst it is just a day, you know, it's a day you will remember for the rest of your life for all of the reasons. Yes, you get a baby and that's amazing. I love babies and healthy babies, obviously. But if your body has been left broken or your heart 
is feeling let down or you weren't heard or respected or it was traumatic, we can't just sweep that under the table and send you home with a newborn. That has ripple effects across every aspect of your life from then on. And so uh, it was most definitely a case for me to say, we need to have conversations about this. We need to change the narrative around birth. You as an individual need to check your own stories about birth, about what you've been fed, about what your body's capable of, and to be able to change that story for yourself and for your birthing experience, whether it's happened yet or not. Like I think there's a lot of women who have birthed who've had less than positive experiences. And I do think we can change the narrative around that as well. And then we've got, you know, the next generation of birthing women coming through that are being fed the same bullshit that I was. And I'm like, fuck that shit. Excuse me, yeah. we're allowed to swear on here. Because that's yeah. just, it, it, I, I feel like you have to really put some powerful language around this. And so much of what we hear around birth is just fucking bullshit. Yeah. You do get very angry and fired up and... <laughs> And I love it. Um, two things from there. The first one is how you've spoken to so many women and interviewed so many women about their birthing story, like, you know, what happened to them. How do you think it does? Like, what are those ripple effects? How does the way that you, you birth your baby, the interpretations you make, you know, there's, there's just zero support around any any of it. Like we just, we are just sent home to heal or, you know, we try to find someone with the same experience or there's shame. Um, I, you know, I didn't want a cesarean birth. I always felt quite embarrassed about talking about that. Uh, but how do you think it does impact women in terms of how they head into motherhood, um, their self-esteem, their, you know, what, what are the ripple effects? Gosh, where to start? I think so many women start out thinking they failed, that they let their baby down in some way, that their body is broken, Mm. that the way that they've been physically manhandled and spoken Mm. to in that experience was very dehumanizing and demeaning, that they're often, as they're leaving hospital, extremely tender and sore regardless of how their baby's been born, they might, you know, they've often got a newborn attached to their nipple and they don't necessarily know how to breastfeed. And it's like you've been through, a, it's like having a kidney taken out and you're sent home with a baby and some Panadol and, mm. you know, you're facing months of no sleep. It's, it's this, you know, we're, we're almost set up for failure in that respect. Mm. So from the minute you walk out of that door and you're sent home, we're often then like, now what? And then you're so consumed by that repetitive uh, daily activity in terms of nourishing your child that the feelings that you've had about that experience are often squashed down. I mean, they'll come out in tears, absolutely, but the opportunity to debrief and process what happened, to talk to somebody about the experience you just had often isn't there. And so it manifests in all sorts of different ways. The first can be your relationship with your body. If you think it has failed, Mm. if it looks different to how it did before, if you've had stitches or you now have a scar, you know, you have to come to terms with the physicality and the changes to your body. And then often you're breastfeeding and, you know, there's changes that come with that. I think that that then often has a 
massive ripple effect in terms of your relationship with your lover if you have one and how have you, do you feel you've let them down do you feel that they've been traumatized by the experience do you feel that that you didn't live up to their expectations of what they thought it was going to be like do you feel that they look at your body differently are you embarrassed about anything that's happened there's a lot of shame associated with birth and our bodies and I find shame to be one of the most debilitating factors oh, lowest in terms vibration. of moving forward yeah yes. so it's and then it's so what also manifests though is we do need to talk about it we all as women we're often we process and heal by sharing and you know ironically enough the audience that we then uh, gravitate to to share what can be a really traumatic experience is the newly pregnant woman. So it fascinates mm. me that oh, yes. as a pregnant woman, it's all the women that have birthed before you that are the first to say, oh, it's horrific, but you'll get a baby or take all the drugs. Don't try and be a hero. Or, you know, like it's the worst pain I've ever felt times a thousand. And you're sat there thinking, and this could be when you're in the bus lane, bus line, you know, with a stranger yes. or when yes. you're standing in the queue at Colt, like you're just going, what, why are you telling me this? Yeah. Why do? Why are they doing that? And the, the the reason that I believe it is is because those women haven't healed mm. their trauma, and mm. and the, the way that they're sharing it and and trying to process it is by almost joking it off or saying it out. Oh, your vagina will never be the same again. Yeah, and you're like, how does that serve me to roar my baby out? And it absolutely doesn't. But that's I think what happens is that because we don't give women who've had a traumatic experience a very clear, supportive way for them to heal and process and grieve their experience of birth. Um, they then, you know, bottle it up and it comes out in, in all of these ways at other pregnant women. And it's this then cyclical effect because mm. that pregnant woman is then being fed these horror stories and she's in this incredibly intuitive and vulnerable stage of her life where she is, you know, soaking up so much information and that then feeds her fear, which she then takes into her birth. And it's like we're just creating this unfortunate cycle that repeats and repeats and repeats, but can be broken. Mm. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's the fear. It's fear. It's fear that, that we, we can't do this on our own. Or it's fear that, you know, I remember making the decision to go with a uh, with a private obstetrician because you think you know, at the time, I knew nothing. I knew nothing about this world. I knew nothing about birth. I knew nothing about midwives or doulas or anything like that. I just thought, I have private health insurance, so we should be in the best hands possible. And, and from there, I handed over my power because ultimately I was scared that something was going to go wrong. So if I'm paying for the best care, then I'll get it and I'll get the healthy baby and I'll be okay. But how is that a flawed approach? Well, because you're coming from the position of fear. So we've, we've lost our trust in our yes. body's ability to birth. So we've, we've, you know, we've broken that um, experience insofar as we're already going in expecting the worst. And so we're saying, okay, if worst case scenarios looks like this, how do I, you know, buffer that now by bringing in the best care? And in a medicalized birthing system, 
the best care uh, if we believe that that is, for example, private obstetricians. Well, private hospitals also have the highest rate of interventions and the mm. highest rate of cesareans. So we go in thinking, I mean, I remember, you know, in my first birth, my fear was I didn't want to be naked in someone in front of someone I didn't know. Mm. So one of my things was, well, I'll choose someone I know and then I'll be all right. Now, in the moment of giving birth, I could have given two shits who came in the room. Yeah. You know, I was like primal and animalistic. It didn't matter, but I didn't know that. So we go on with all of these kind of misconceptions of what it's going to be like and or we bringing all of these fears with us because of the way we've been raised and the stories we've been fed and that we've lost trust in our ability to birth. And we essentially feed ourselves into that conveyor belt um, which continues to pump out the same outcomes. And so it's like there is, just to be clear, absolutely a place for the medical um, professional services required around some births. You know, there are absolutely cases where mothers and or babies require the highest level of, of care. And in this country particularly, we're incredibly lucky that we have access to that. But to think that, so currently I think the number is something like 97% of women who birth in a hospital will have a form of intervention. Wowza. Wow. Wow. In birth, 97%. So that means someone is laying their hands on you or injecting you with something in order for you to birth. And I just think, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Are you suggesting to me that if that didn't happen, that 97% of women wouldn't be able to birth. And like, no, bullshit. You know, there are absolutely a percentage of women, no doubt about it. And, you know, I mean, you know that with your experiences and there are women who have things like um, placentas that are covering up Mm. the exit of their service, no question. And it's amazing that we've got that maternity care in this country. But 97% care fucked. I just think, but we've got this, Um, we go in expecting an emergency and as a result, we create an emergency Mm -hmm. because when you've got a medical team that are there, they they are the world's best problem solvers. But you're a pregnant woman. You're not sick. You're not ill. You're not ailing. You are a healthy woman having a healthy pregnancy with a healthy baby typically and all you actually need is for no one to touch you for no one even to talk to you. You just need to be left to birth. And if anything was to go wrong, then great, you're in safe hands. But it's like what we do instead is we monitor that woman to within an inch of her life. We put fingers inside her vagina to see how far along she is. We taper up with monitors and beeps. We put, you know, scalps. We attach electrodes to baby scalps in utero, which is a little screw that goes under their skin. What? This is what we do and we screw that in to monitor their heartbeat and then we pump out graphs of stuff, of data as we're labouring in hospital and if the graphs don't fall within exactly the right range or if you don't progress, I hate that word, um, at exactly the right rate that you should, then they're going to have to intervene. Failure to progress is a term that is used to push births along and it's bullshit because it's like the thing we forget is that you are a mammal, right? We are all mammals and we birth like mammals. So if you think about your cat or your dog, 
Do you think when they were pregnant and you were a kid, they walked around thinking, shit, how am I going to get these babies out? Because the dog next door told me that it was hard. You know, like, do they fuck? They just get on with it. They just trust in their bodies. And when the time comes, they they don't come to you and say, take me to the vet. I'm having my babies. They take themselves off to squirrel away in the darkest, quietest, most private part of the property and they birth their babies. You know, and we need the same environment. We need to be feel safe. We need we need privacy. We need quiet. We need intimacy with our loved ones. We need to not be interrupted. And instead, we turn up to a hospital with bright lights, people in white uniforms, people you know wanting to put their fingers in our vagina, like before they'll admit us because they want to see how dilated we are and see if we're really in labour. And all of the actions and all of the forms and all of the language do exactly the opposite thing. They don't calm you down and make you feel safe and make you feel unobserved and respected. They rev you up. They, they, They incite the fear. And I think that thinking about it in that mammalian kind of way is one of the best things that pregnant women can do. I often talk about two things, which is that um, they recommend oxytocin is the hormone that will encourage your labor to continue at the right rate for you because we're all individuals, right? We all labor differently. And oxytocin is the uh, hormone that's produced when you're making out, basically. When you're with your lover or yourself and you're getting it on and things are getting slippery, oxytocin is what comes out then. So it's why we often talk about, you know, cuddling up with your partner when birth starting to ha- labor starting to happen and, you know, just kind of getting into that zone, which is perfect. But if you think about the conditions in which you typically make your babies, not necessarily up against the washing machine, but in a regular, <laughs> on any other regular night where, you know, you're usually, let's say in your bedroom, the lights are dimmed, you feel safe, you're not observed, you've got you and your partner, it's all beautiful and getting it on and, you know, the vibe, the the vibration's great. Well, that's what you need to get your baby up, exactly the same. And that is just the opposite of what you receive in a hospital. So the more that we can start to recreate that space in birth, and for a lot of women that involves laboring at home for as long as possible and going into that hospital right at the end to birth their babies, the better because that's what you that's what you need in order to roll your baby out. The fact is, this is my absolute belief, that everything you need to birth is already inside of you. You just need to get out of your own way. We need to get away from the stories in our head And we just need to let our bodies do their thing because our bodies and our babies decide when it's the right day to birth. And it's got fuck all to do with your due date. They could give a shit about Mm. your due date, which is why so many women don't. But the hospital is like, oh, well, you're late and you're overdue. And your baby isn't sat in there with a calendar ticking off days. Like, (laughs) it's just such bullshit. Um, And so, you know, when I, the other thing I was just going to add is that, uh, and we might have talked about this before. But women in comas give birth without intervention, without anyone touching them. It's just, it's the right day for their body and their baby. And they just ease that baby out. So if, and that 
going back to that point about getting out of your own way and getting out of your head and your fear and your stories and all that sort of stuff, if you can be in an environment and with a support team and with language that is, you know, entrusting of your body's ability to birth and that supports and respects that mammal aspect of you, you are just going to roar your baby out beautifully. Like you are just going to be the most Amazonian primal birthing beast. It's just fabulous to watch. Like, and that's, that's how you get a baby out. And why do you think in a woman's life journey, that is something that is a gift to her? Because it's one of those rites of passage. It's that it's that tipping point that we, I mentioned earlier. So it's like when you go from child and then you get your period, it's like you go into your maiden phase. Mm-hmm. And when you give birth, you go, you go from maiden to mother. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a pivotal transition period. And having a baby, brilliant, love it. But you become this whole new creature. You know, it's like everything, it's like the world tips on its axis slightly. Yeah, and nothing's ever exactly the same again because you are forever changed. Mm. And the ability to be forever changed and to be a positive, empowering, intense, absolutely. Like I'm not suggesting that it just slips out, but for you to have had the the experience of knowing that when you were like fully in your power, Mm. that when you, you stood in that zone and you were so strong and so feminine and just so much fire in you that you could breathe new life into the world like that's the kind of thing that you will go back to over and over again because from then you're like I can do anything yeah you know I can walk away from a relationship that doesn't serve me I can change jobs or move countries or have more children or not you know I can I can do anything because I believe in me and my ability and this body like this whole vessel we've got this Yeah oh my god you give me tingles when you talk like this what do you what do you how, how do you talk about birthing and and bodies to your girls or to all of my children Yeah, really important that our boys understand this. So I, I mean, my 13 year old is just rolls her eyes now because anything, you know, something will happen on TV and about birth or uh, periods or anything. And she'll just be like, mother, don't, don't, you don't have to say it. (laughs) Just stop, sit down. Because she knows I'm like, She's like, I, I know, I know what you're going to say. I mean, she has decided she's never having children, but I think that's because the two little one drive her bash it, um, <laughs> but not because she doesn't have a, a you know trust in her body. But we talk a lot about how um, how powerful and amazing our bodies are. We talk about our bodies being incredible healing vessels. You know, if they scratch themselves, I'm like, it's it's amazing that you have such a healthy healing body because that's going to heal and you're going to be fine. And so I talk a lot about, you know, they're very familiar with women having periods. I mean, they come into the toilet with me still. So it's like, and I'm not going to hide that from them. No, I don't. No. You know, we talk about blood and they'll say, well, does it hurt? I'm like, mm. no, it doesn't hurt. And they, it takes them a little while to understand that you can have 
be bleeding and not have pain. And they watch videos of babies being born by choice now. You know, like I'll be watching something on YouTube and I'll be like, Saka, can I see that? So they're really familiar with seeing women in their power in that sense. Uh, And we talk about all types of birth as well. We understand that you know, not every baby comes out in the same way. So they're, they're familiar with that. And I often think my, my son, because our, uh, my husband has two older girls as well, he essentially has four sisters and I just think he's going to make the best wife one day. He's going to be like, he just knows everything about nail polish, dance moves, <laughs> periods. A, yeah. Oh. You know, and so I just, I think that we, and we and I simplify it for them as well. So I'm speaking in their language. You know, we mm. talk about that to make a baby, you need an egg, a sperm, and a womb. You know, they they understand that. They understand that there's a there's a contribution from mm. two parties, and that that baby's then nourished in in that woman's womb. And they understand that. Yeah, they're quite familiar. I don't say to them like. You know, they don't say anymore, for example, that woman has a baby in her tummy because they, babies aren't born in tummies, that, you know, they're, they're in wombs. So I'm quite mm. clear to use the right, or, you know, the, the ideal terminology for them um, because I, I want them to understand that babies are born, you know, created in wombs and that they're born from wombs. They're not born in, out of tummy. Like it just seems a bit um, surreal in that way. So yeah, I'm, we talk about things and I'll answer any question that they have ever. Yeah. And that's yeah. been quite interesting as my older daughter's gone through, you know, sex ed at school and things like that. It's quite fascinating that the way that their brains work and that they understand so much and then they haven't thought further about what happens next. And we had a, a, an interesting conversation recently about placentas and she'd heard about placentas and she knew that I'd planted a placenta and all sorts of things like that, eaten some of my placenta and, but she never really had thought to herself, well, how does the placenta come out? So it was quite interesting. She knew it was, I said, well, you know, it's attached to the umbilical cord. And she's like, yeah. And I said, so after you birth the baby, then you birth the placenta. She's like, what the, what, like you squeeze that out as well. Like, haven't you just done enough? (laughs) It's the beautiful design of our bodies, baby. So, and she was at the birth of her younger children, the youngest sibling. She was there for both of those. She doesn't remember the placentas being born, obviously, but she was so funny. I remember with our son that I was ready to um, eject him from my body and I was on all fours on the couch and she was about six and she was down at the birthing end with my sister who was there as her support person. And I was like right there, like his head was ginormous. I give birth to these like bullfeds and he was like right about to his head was about to be birthed and I just heard Scarlett say oh my gosh that is disgusting (laughs) and I remember feeling this contraction coming on and trying not to giggle because I was just thinking I can only imagine what she's looking at right now you know me splayed with this head (laughs) to come out and like oh jeepers amazing so what if you, if you, um, you know, by the time they're having babies, if they choose to, and you are, you know, you've revolutionized the language of, of birthing and, you know, changed the conversation, what do you hope 
for for this for them like what do you hope to achieve through rockstar birth mag your work like i mean it feels like we need almost a revolution in birthing we need enough voices saying you got this sister you got this uh and I think that's sometimes the thing that I like hearing from you the most is that your body knows exactly what to do because I don't think it's something that we're taught. It's just not, it's just not the, where we're at right now in birthing. So I guess sort of maybe two things, what do you think has to happen in order to be able to really give women back their power in birthing? And well, no, just start, just, just answer that because then the second part will probably come through. <laughs> I mean, we could seriously talk about this all day. Yeah. I think that in what has to change in your right, it is a revolution. I mean, birthing on your own terms is an act of rebellion. Right. But, 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 this, is not, but this is just new. Like this is not the way it's always been. This is a 20th century sort of phenomenon. Very much. I mean, you wouldn't have to go back too far through anybody's maternal heritage to find that their great-great-grandparents had all their children at home. And then, and people will often say then, oh yeah, but you know, a lot of babies and mothers died then. And it's like, babies and mothers still die today. They just, you know, they happen to die in hospital. Like I'm not suggesting that the introduction of hospitals has not eliminated all of the risks associated with birth. Okay, mm. so, and without having to dive too much onto that topic, it's like, let's not be naive to that fact that I think America has one of the highest maternal morbidity rates. It's like, how, how can that be the case? So, you know, right. a, a topic for a different time, but yes. don't just assume, don't assume that hospitals are safe. That's the first thing I'd say. Don't assume that. And don't assume that birth is to be feared. So, take those two things off the table Mm -hmm. and straight away you're changing the narrative. So I think that we all, all future birthing women need to be rebellious and in being rebellious, they need to decide to birth on their terms and that's different for everybody. And by that I mean that someone might have a, um, a breech baby that's about to come out but first. And they say, you know what? I know that I could choose to birth this baby vaginally. I know that I'm capable of doing that, but I'm choosing to have a cesarean birth for all of these reasons that feel right to me. But that's a choice. It's not just that the hospital says automatically, oh, breech baby, you have to have a cesarean, which is what typically happens now. So by birthing on your own terms, I'm talking about you doing the research to determine what your choices, your options are, to check your stories to see what work you need to do to determine what are your fears and what are someone else's, what are just lines you've been fed that you've then carried on through your life Mm -hmm. and are they actually true for you or not? And then for your fears, because we've all got them, to really look at them and work out, well, what do I want to do based on that fear? Do I want to work through it? Do I want to make a different decision? Like I think birthing on your terms is such a unique proposition for every individual woman and every individual birth that she has. So you might make different choices in your second birth, for example, because situation's different and your experience is different. But really walking in to any pregnancy encounter, with a, whether it's with a friend or a family member or a medical professional and being clear that this is my body and my baby and my pregnancy and I will make the decisions that are right for me because your medical provider is there to provide guidance 
and suggestions. But don't for a second think that they are not biased, possibly even by their own birthing experiences, by their own stories that they're carrying. Do not let that invade your journey. So Mm -hmm. you can absolutely go to them for guidance and you may ultimately absolutely agree with what they've suggested, but you have chosen that. They have not put that on you because I think so many of us get told how to birth. And I just think we've got to tip that on its head and say, I am coming into birth or I am staying home to birth or I might even give birth on the side of the road in my car. And that's an interesting one even because you often hear about women that do that because they don't get to the hospital in time. And what happens? Well, the baby is just born. That's what happens. Like, that's it. And so often, though, when we look at the stories of that in the, on the news or in the newspaper, the title will say, Hero Dad Delivers Own <laughs> Child on Side of Road. And yes. I just think, get fucked. Yeah. Hero Dad was honoured enough to be able to bear witness to his woman roaring their child into the world. Hero dad, my ass. You know, like dads are great, don't get me wrong, but what about this woman? Like Mm. we are breathing new life into the world and I get that it happens every second of every day, but can we just honour that for a moment? Can we just honour you for that incredible ability? And again, that is regardless of whether you birth your baby, you know, through your belly or out of your vagina. It's, it's regardless of whether it's a V-back or a water birth or a twin birth or a breech birth. They are all incredible and they all come with choices. We're just not told that. We, we're told that it's hospital policy. And because we, so many of us, myself included, have grown up being good girls, mm. We don't want to be seen to rebel against hospital. We go, oh, okay, sorry, well, if it's policy, then I'll do it. Get fucked. Your, your first answer to everything now has to be no, full stop. Not, no, no justification required. Uh, well, it's hospital policy that you have to have a vaginal examination upon admission. No. It's hospital policy that you have to have an IV line put in just in case. No. It's hospital policy you have to have continuous monitoring. No, 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 no. Like, get fucked. You don't get to tell me what you're doing. My body, just take your hands off me and step back. Tell me Mm. all the things you'd like to do and I'll choose them. And I think that's the act of rebellion. It's not the automatic deference to the system. Instead, Mm. I want you to be fully empowered and emboldened and unapologetic about the homage that you're paying to your body. That is where the goddess lies. That's what we should yeah. be bowing down to. And if you choose to birth in a hospital and you choose to have that team, then they need to get in line. But the only way they will do that, and they will fight you every step of the way, and it's unfortunate that at this time when you should be fully in your birthing bubble, you've got to take this fight. But that's what we're doing with this language and with Rockstar Birth Magazine and with having these conversations. We are taking the fight and paving the way for the women that come after us so that the next generation of midwives and obstetricians know what is possible. You know, I want to find, I want it to be the case that all obstetricians have to attend five home births a year Mm -hmm. right throughout their career. 
so that they can see that they will sit in the corner on their hands and not touch that woman but just observe what she is capable of, you know, that they can see that so that they're, they're terrified of birth. They don't actually think we can. They truly believe that they need to be there and they're providing us this amazing service. Because they've also been fed that. They've been fed all of the fear. Their whole career is based on that. And it's just bollocks. I love you, so. <laughs> so, so that's that. Um, so just, just a small little call to arms. Uh, but I think everyone who's listening to this, who's been through, who has perhaps birthed, uh, is going to want to be sharing this episode with anyone that they know who is pregnant or is looking to have a baby, I think the world needs to hear your voice on this, Shalom. You're not the only, you're not the only voice. You are part of a movement and the way that you deliver what it is that you share is making a huge impact on people. And, you know, I would love, you know, you know how much I think that you're capable of, um, of doing and of shifting, I think that there needs to be more support for for women. It like if I had found you when I was pregnant, this is the thing. Without the voices, without the changing the conversation, without the getting bold and um and you know communicating this out loud, then the people who are looking for this experience of birthing as the <laughs> as the amazing creature that they are won't find won't find what they need and so I just think that the more we can be having these conversations not I'm not going to have well I mean I was told by a psychic that there's there's potentially more babies coming Um, (laughs) there is not more babies coming um uh that it is our duty as women who've been through this passage of our lives to be talking, creating conversation around it, not hiding away from it, not bringing our particular stories and experiences to this next generation of birthing powerhouses because our model, hmm, I don't know if it's really, really working all that well for us as women who are looking to step into personal power and be the you know, most extraordinary, like experience life on all different types of cosmic levels in this lifetime. Birth gives us a portal into our power. Birth gives us a, well, I guess an, it's an expression of womanhood like no other really. And so, I mean, I just think that you do such important work I love our conversations about it. I'm so grateful to you for sneaking out of work so we could have this conversation today. I hope that anyone who's listening to this, who knows someone who is pregnant, shares them and sends them straight to Rockstar Birth Mag on uh, Instagram because I also love that you embrace all types of births and it's not about a home birth. It's not about this or that or the other. It's making informed choices that honour the woman. And um, I think you're brilliant. And, and I want you to create an e-course. I want you to give pregnant mothers the chance to learn from you, hear from you, step into it. So can you please do that like, as a matter of urgency? <laughs> no pressure. Of course. 
Do you know what I actually want to do? And this is quite interesting. So I have uh, an e-course which I am reinvigorating at the moment for pregnant women. But you know what I find quite fascinating is that it's the men, as pregnant women, we're often most worried about our men folk coming in. And so I've decided recently I'm going to create a an e-course as well, some way of some digestible form because not all our men folk will sit down and do an e-course, but to get our men in the room in the right frame of mind because if that person is your support person and you're mm. walking into this what can be a battlefield in the hospital mm. in terms of asserting your rights, you need them rock solid by your side and mm. I think just getting them on board so that they don't get distracted by the data that comes out on the graph and the monitors and that they don't believe necessarily everything that's being fed to them by the medical professionals and that they support you and are in that kind of, I call it like a, a combination of a birth bouncer to stop people coming mm. in invading your space, but also a birth cheerleader, you know, and, and invigorating you to because to, so, you need to be a team in this, whoever your support person is. But it's often our men and I think they really need to know that a few key things can make all the difference. So that's going to be my first, my next invention is a, uh, a rock star dad revolution. Oh, because, well. you know, they'll give up a day to go or a couple. Remember the birthing classes at, at hospital? There's a few of them. Yeah, they'll sit down and watch something if they if they're told that this is a part of the the journey, because I do, I think that most of them, well, I mean, it's only my experience, I guess, (laughs) making a big, huge generalization, but want to back their partner in and, and be there for them. It's just that maybe they just don't actually know what that might look like. So yeah, Shalom, Shalom is on it. She is going to be your guide through birth. and. I just think, I just know that what's possible, I mean, so much of my own source of strength and, and, and power, and I speak to another friend about it and she's like, it's not about head, heart and gut, brain. Like we've got to be working from our womb power because that is, that is our source. And, uh, and if we can start that journey, like talking to our children, and about about the power of that and then they you know when they get their period it's not something that's hidden away or shamed it's just it's a natural thing we're all talking about it you weren't you're not just past um you know where did I come from <laughs> by your, your mum awkwardly on your bed uh I mean god love them and uh and then that all of this stuff is kind of talked about and expressed and celebrated and not hidden away. I mean, I just feel like there's hope and start, and, and we, we can, we can start that now. We start that with our children. So can I just tell you a funny story about periods? <laughs> so my daughter got her period when she turned 12 and we had talked about it beforehand. And I, you know, had obviously explained that it's your womb shedding once a month and it comes out like this and then it, you know, then you ovulate and it happens again. But I obviously hadn't explained the once a month property because I said to her one morning, we were about to be in the catechism to school and I just said to her, oh, I just need to go to the bathroom because I've just got my period. And she patted me on the arm and she said, don't worry, mum, it's just one day and then you won't have it again till next month. And I went, oh, really need to talk to you about. I was like, "Um, it's more like five to seven days. She was like, what? 
what's that a design fault? Is that? <laughs> like, it's, you told me once a month and I'm like, yeah, but for up to a week. And she's like, what? That is outrageous. And I was like, oh, yeah. So you have to be careful about not making any assumptions about what you say that it's been, they hear it quite literally, I guess mm. is the, the one thing I'd say is they hear it literally and then they go, okay, done, cool. Um, but also I guess just in, in closing, I guess the key thing I'd say for everyone who's listening, and this applies equally to women who are looking to conceive or women who are still in their childbirthing years or those of us who, like you and I, Lisa, have apparently finished having our babies, is to um, really check your stories. Check mm. what the stories you tell yourself and call yourself out when it's bullshit. Mm. And then take that action to, to change your language. If you're someone who's had a traumatic birth experience, don't just share that with pregnant women. Do the work to process that yourself. Do that work to heal. You know, replace it with your own truth. And some of the things I talk to women about are, you know, saying things that I didn't fail. I was let down. Mm. Or my body is not broken. It did its absolute best under really intense trying conditions. You know, and that self-talk about loving on your body again. And, And just that reminder, and this is what I do a lot on, um, on my Instagram and, you know, with our bullshit bingo, it's the best thing is that (laughs) straight up, you know, kind of laser beam conversation around the fact that I am born to birth. Like Mm. that's your bottom line. I'm born to birth. Everything I need is inside me. Everyone just needs to get out of the fucking way and let me get on with it. And that's, that's it. When that's your baseline, that you're born to birth, then it becomes quite impenetrable in terms of what you're capable of. It's like, you've totally got this. You, yeah. You've got this birthing gig in the bag. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm feeling the, those women who haven't been able to conceive, um, feeling triggered mm-hmm. by this. And uh, I just want to make special mention of them. I, you know, there we were at the start and just talking about how simple it was to fall pregnant. I had no trouble falling pregnant. You had no trouble falling pregnant. And I just wanted to give a shout out to, to those women because, um, we're all a sisterhood. And uh, I know that sometimes these conversations, I assume that sometimes these conversations might be highly triggering and maybe they stopped listening at a certain point of this conversation. But being born to birth, you know, is, it, is just such an empowering, amazing thing to know. But for those who haven't been able to conceive, it doesn't make them any less of an amazing powerhouse woman. And the same for those of us whose not every pregnancy goes to term, right? Mm -hmm. Those of us that Mm -hmm. have suffered from miscarriage or Mm -hmm. other complications, like it's, it's not the case that every, uh, every woman births, it's not the case that every pregnancy becomes, you know, a, a full-term birth. And so you're right. My language is very specifically targeted to those women that are at that you know, tail end of their pregnancy that are in that last trimester and that are really gearing up for that experience. Um, 
and but I and I fully appreciate what you're saying in terms of not seeking to minimize other people's experiences yeah. in terms of trying to achieve that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had a lot of I had a lot of stuff about not being able to labor. I've never labored, I've never felt my body in labor. But I chose to either to make that something for myself or not and just let my birthing experiences with my little transverse babies be what it was, you know, and for sure. But I do just want to give, I just always want to um, send love. It's such a highly charged area, but I, I just love this conversation. I love the work you're doing to change the narrative around, around birth for those of us who've been through it and have a responsibility to our sisters coming through, our sisters and witches. And, uh, and um, for those women who are, who are pregnant right now and, and looking to have this experience be one in which they get to stand in their power. You're the best, Shalom. Love you. Love your guts. Thanks for the conversation. I'll probably see you someday. <laughs> and more of this. <laughs> more of this. You guys, I mean, I could talk to Shalom about, I mean, we've had so many conversations. As she is an extraordinary woman who I am truly honoured to to be her friend. Um, I'm, I'm you- just laughing because we had a conversation yesterday where I was saying that um, we talked about birth being an act of rebellion and it's a big act, you know, like standing in your power and that I encourage women in my community and social networks to start with little acts of rebellion, you know, little things that don't say yes to everything. Don't be a people pleaser. Stop trying to make everyone okay. And one of the things I said to you yesterday was that, going commando at work. We're having a knicker-free Friday. Have I told anyone at work? No, I have not, oh, apart from on my socials, and maybe they've heard that. <laughs> I half expect someone to come up to me in the office and go, are you wearing any undies today, Shalom? Who, who knows? Because that's where my rebellion might be today. So consider yourselves on notice. <laughs> If you guys, I mean, sometimes I think I should keep some of those little voice messages that arrive over text. I'm worried someone's going to come up to me at work and be like, are you commando today? Um, (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, you don't need to save that one because I just stuck it on a podcast. So it's all good. (laughs) It is here for all eternity. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you, Shalom. Go and get back to work. Uh, I hope that everyone who's been listening to this is feeling a fire in their womb. Not a fire in their belly, a fire in their womb. Thanks for everything. Hey, if you're enjoying the conversation, then it would mean the world to me if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. It really makes a difference and it's my intention to get as many of us involved in real conversations that really change the game as possible. Thanks so much for your help and I'll see you in the next episode. 